All right, Sub 30, how you guys doing? We can do better than that, man. Sub 30, how you guys doing? All right, all right, all right. Well, can we put our hands together for our online audience and those who are checking us out online and couldn't make it out? And in addition to that, man, I want to make sure you guys that, that that video that they showed of all that God is doing here at Celebration is absolutely incredible. So can we put our hands together for what God is doing here at Celebration Church? I'm truly humbled to, to be a part of it, and, 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 and I really feel, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I'm always excited to be here with you, Sub30, but I'm, I'm especially excited. I think each time it gets a, a little bit better, and so I definitely wanna give some honor and love to my boy, Pastor Clayton Baird on the front row. Thank you for extending the invitation as always, man. Love you, man, I, I learned from you, man, and I appreciate your, your faithfulness. And, and, here's, and here's what I, I, I love the most about Sub30 at church, but I, I love specifically about Sub30 is that um, there's, there's no coincidence that anyone is here tonight. What I, what I firmly believe is that I, I don't believe in coincidences because if I did, then it means that we're removing God's hand from certain situations. I don't think it's a coincidence when we look in the Bible and we find the woman with the issue of blood and Jesus was in the vicinity. I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus happened to be there to meet her at her place of brokenness. I, I don't think it was a coincidence when the woman at the well found herself going to this place to get a drink of water, but that she met Jesus and she got her breakthrough. I don't think it was a coincidence when blind Bartimaeus was sitting outside of the city gates and he heard that Jesus was in the vicinity and he began to yell out and Jesus came over and gave him sight. I, I don't think it was a coincidence. I don't think it's a coincidence that you are here tonight. I really don't. I think that God has something specifically here for you, but with all of those people that I mentioned, there was something that they had a responsibility to do. Here's what I believe. I believe that God will meet you at the place of your expectation. If, if you come here tonight with an expectation that God is gonna do something, that you're gonna hear something and possibly go home radically different, I promise you that God will meet you where you are. But if you don't, if you don't, we'll be here next week. But I want you to be encouraged in knowing that there is no coincidence that you are here tonight. And, and when I think about the whole idea of coincidences, when I think about the way that, that God has weaved together, and there's several stories out the course of Scripture, where we see that people have these unique encounters that almost could be seen as a coincidence, what we don't often see is the things that actually trigger the encounters. A lot of times we just simply see the exchange and then we see people go their separate ways. But there's, there's this one particular story that I believe that God actually shows us behind the scenes of his sovereignty. This is something that we don't often get a glimpse of. And if you guys would, would join me in the book of Acts, the eighth chapter, I, I wanna unpack this, this story for you. Um, let me give you a little context as to what's going on at this time. Um, Jesus is dead. Okay, correction. Jesus was dead, but he has risen and shall live forevermore. Okay, so let me, let me correct that. But Jesus, Jesus has died and he has been resurrected. Now that he's been resurrected, he, he, he has appeared to his disciples, and, and, and about 40 days afterwards, he, and he goes another 10 days, and now after the 50th day, the Holy Spirit comes and it, and, and it fills the church. What we begin to see happen after that is that the disciples begin to preach the word of God in the region that they're in. This is what's going on, Acts the first chapter. And as you begin to see, as we go from Acts one to two to three, we start to see the Holy Spirit reaching tons and tons of people. Well, then we, we find this man named Stephen. And Stephen was this guy that we're introduced to in Acts, the sixth chapter. And what happens with Stephen is Stephen goes and he preaches the gospel to some people that were the ones who were basically responsible for crucifying Jesus. The thing that we gotta remember is that at the same time when the church was starting, the very people that crucified Jesus were still running the streets. So it wasn't safe to be a Christian. It wasn't safe to be a follower of Christ. In fact, they wanted to try to silence the movement altogether. 
So as the church is beginning to, to share the message of who Jesus was and who Jesus is, we find that this man, Stephen, is, is preaching to the Sanhedrin court, the same court system that condemned Jesus to death. And the Bible tells us that he was killed. And this is where Saul was, Paul, who, read, who wrote one-third of the New Testament. But this is before his conversion. He was there in that environment. And this is why he said, I used to kill Christians beforehand. So when he saw that Stephen got killed, he said, I want to be a person who goes out and who was responsible for finding these Christians and killing them. I want to cart them off to jail. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says that after Stephen was killed, that great persecution spread out against the church. I want you all to hear that. that great persecution spread out against the church. But we also find out is that the Bible says that so the disciples were scattered. They went to all different regions that they typically probably wouldn't have gone to because that wasn't within their comfort zone. But because of the persecution, because of the opposition, they were spread out. And this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, but as a result of them being spread out, they shared the message of the gospel everywhere they went and the church was increased daily. I want y'all to understand something that they met a lot of opposition that caused them to scatter, but they never lost their testimony. And as a result of that, we saw that the number of disciples had continued to increase. You know what I've learned in my life? I've learned that a lot of times, just, 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 just sometimes, I've learned that sometimes that opposition wears the disguise of, of, of opportunity. What I've learned is that there's a lot of times where we find ourselves facing some, some opposition. We find ourselves being, facing some resistance, and we don't realize that that's packaging opportunity for us to share the message of the gospel. We don't realize that it's giving us an opportunity to share the truth of who Jesus is. You may be facing some resistance at work, and you're wondering why the path isn't clear, but don't you understand the fact that you are scattered is giving you opportunity to plant seeds in environments that possibly would never had an opportunity to engage it before. So now we find ourselves here. Now we find ourselves here in, in Acts, the eighth chapter. We're introduced to this guy named Philip. And so Philip, as a result of the persecution that was going against the church, he goes down to this place called Samaria, this place that, that was something that, that, that Jews didn't typically go to, was a place that wasn't where the gospel was expected to spread right away. But nonetheless, this is where Philip is. And when Philip goes down there, the Bible says that he preaches a message and ultimately the entire city gets saved. He preaches a message and he sees people radically shifted. He sees people radically surrendering themselves to Christ. And after all of this, after all of the city is in the complete uproar and, and the disciples come down and they come in and they say, man, like this is amazing. Let's, let's baptize these people, man. Let's get them filled with the Holy Spirit. In the midst of all of that excitement, God comes and he speaks to Philip and he gives some, some very specific instructions. If you can join me in, in Acts, the eighth chapter, we're gonna pick up from verse 26 and we're gonna see what God had to say to Philip in the midst of all this excitement. And an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, get up and go south to the road that goes to Jerusalem, to Gaza. This is the desert road. So he got up and he went. There was an Ethiopian man, a eunuch, a high official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of the entire treasury. He had come to worship in Jerusalem and was sitting in his chariot on his way home, reading the prophet Isaiah aloud. The spirit told Philip, go and join yourself to the chariot. When Philip ran up and he had heard him reading the prophet Isaiah, he said, do you understand what you're reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the scripture passage that he was reading was like this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb silent before his shear, so he does not open his mouth. And in his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who will describe his generation? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch replies to Philip and he says, I ask you, 
who is the prophet talking about, himself or another? So Philip proceeded to tell him the good news about Jesus, beginning from that scripture. As they traveled down the road, they came to some water, and eunuch said to him, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he replied, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Then he ordered the chariot to stop, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized them. When he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord had taken Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him any longer, but he went his way rejoicing. He didn't see him any longer, but he went his way rejoicing. Sub 30, I, I want to talk to you tonight just for a couple of minutes on something that I feel is, 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 very, is, is very important for us to grasp and get into our spirit. I want to talk to you for a couple of minutes tonight on, on something that I think that we all can relate to, and that's being in these seasons of, of isolation and sometimes being led to places of isolation. Um, and I've entitled this message, The Desert Road. The Desert Road. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word, your presence, your grace, your mercy, and for all that you're gonna do in here tonight, God. Father, I, I pray that, that you just speak to your people, God. Father, I pray for open eyes that we can see you in places that maybe we've grown blind. God, I pray for open ears that we can hear you in places that we've grown deaf and open hearts that we can experience your truth in places where maybe we've grown bitter from pain. Father, we can't do this without you, God, so we invite your spirit to, to govern us in this time that we have together, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. By, by a show of hands, how many of you guys are actually from Florida, Jacksonville, Florida? Anybody actually from Jacksonville, Florida? Okay, good percentage of you guys. Um, if, you, if you guys know anything about, about me and my family, we've moved here to Jacksonville from, from Delaware um, about, um, about nine years ago, so it's about... It's about a 12 to 13 to 14 hour road trip, depending on who's driving. And, 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 and there's something that I've learned about this whole process now that I've been here for so, so, so long. Um, I'm not a big fan of road trips. This is a revelation. This is something that I've come to grips with myself. Initially, I used to be. When I first moved here and we would travel back home to go and see my family, it was all good. But I've, 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 I've grown bitter over the road trips over the years. I, I have to admit that. The, the reason being is because I, I'm, I'm good on a road trip for about the first... I don't know, four or five hours. But when you get to like hour six, when you get to like hour seven, it stops being fun and it kind of gets real. It's, 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 at, it's at this time, it's at this time that typically you can't, you can't agree on what the temperature in the car needs to be. And, and I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of OCD, so I'm the type of person that when I'm driving and if the windows are down, they all need to be down at the same level, otherwise it kind of disproportions the water at the air as it comes in. So like when somebody lifts the window up, I'm like, okay, I guess we're letting the windows up because it just messes up my vibe. So, you know, I have to, I have to deal with that. And, and then you have, and then with me, I have, you know, typically with us, it's, it's, it's five of us, so it's my wife and my, my three children, and so typically when you have that many people, that many personalities, we're debating about what music we want to listen to, so then yeah, everybody has on their headphone, no one's talking at this point, so that's weird, you know, and, and so, and then, and, and then it never fails that you get hungry, right? Everybody gets hungry, and so strategically what I'm thinking through is, okay, I'm on this road trip, I need to begin to think through where do I want to get gas? Because wherever I get gas at is going to be the place that we use the bathroom at, and that's also going to be the place that we get something to eat at. I try to make sure that I use my time really well. But it never works out that way. When we get off at the exit and I say, okay, here, we got four options. Where do y'all want to eat? And it never fails that I get all four responses, all referring to different places they want to go to. So now I've got to be the tiebreaker, and whatever place I choose to go to obviously means I love that person more than the rest of them because I agree with them. 
This is the pressure of what it means to be the man of the household. I didn't know that was the mantle I was gonna have to wear, but I had to make a decision as to where we're gonna eat at. And then in addition to that, please don't get me to talking about public restrooms. Road stop restrooms. Pastor Clay, I've, I've, I've studied this extensively, man. I, I have, I've studied this extensively, and, and, I, and I, I, re, I used to think, you know, back when I first got saved and I was naive in the faith, I used to think that there was nothing that could separate us from the love of God. <laughs> I, I used to think that, Clay, I did. I used to think that there was nothing that could separate us from the love of God. However, I do think I did find the thing. <laughs> the people, even, that are outside of the boundaries of grace, and these are the people I'm talking about, the people that go to the bathroom and walk out without washing their hands. That's just nasty. You need to come to the altar right now, but bring hand sanitizer with you. I will not shake your hand. Come. It's, it's disgusting. It's amazing what you'll see in these public rest stops. It's, it's, it just it disturbs my spirit so much. I'm like, I'm walking on this, and then I'm going to walk into my house. Like, I throw shoes away after I go on road trips. It's, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy. And, and I remember this one time I was on this one road trip. We were going up north to go and visit my family, and um, we, we left at like, I think like midnight, you know, because I'm trying to find different ways to avoid all the traffic and everything, and so we're riding up, and we finally get on this stretch of 95, and we're riding through the Carolinas. See, the Carolinas are cool to drive through. The problem is when it's like midnight and it's pitch black, there's no lights out there. It's like nothing but just outer darkness. It's like what hell would be like. It's like just complete darkness. And so as we're riding down, um, riding up 95, I get a flat tire. Tire just blows up, it turns out I ran over something, and so I, I kind of lose control. I get over to the side of the road, and I can't see a thing. Now, I'm standing outside, and I'm looking at my, my, my truck, and I'm like, I have no, I can't see a thing. I can't, I can't change my tire. Now, don't get it twisted. I'm a man's man, I know how to change a tire. It's just too dark outside that I can't see what I'm doing. And so as I'm looking around, I see like this little faint light off in the distance, and I'm like, well, maybe I can go up there and, and ask for some help. No, never mind. That's how Texas Chainsaw Massacre started. Okay, so I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to stay right here. And so I've kind of resolved in my mind that I'm just going to sit here until daylight, and then I'm going to change it, because I'm not going to try to fiddle with it in the darkness. A car could come by too close. I got too much going on in my life to get killed by a car. So I'm not going to do that. That was, that was my decision. Well, interestingly enough, when I made that decision, I noticed that there's this car that, become, that comes up behind us, and it's like, it's like 15 to 20 feet away. And it's pitch dark, but I can see the lights. So immediately inside of myself, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, we're, we're, in, we're in South Carolina. I'm black. Um, <laughs> at this time, they still had the Confederate flag up. Anyway, so I'm, I'm black, I'm black. And, and so I'm in South Carolina, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know where this is gonna go. I have no idea where this is gonna go. And so the guy gets out of the car, and as I see him like fuddling around in the back seat, he pulls out this crowbar. So immediately, I, I look at my family, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, okay, I'm not going out without a fight. I, I promise you I'm not. And, and, and so this is what I told him, like, look, man, somebody's gotta survive to tell the story, so I need y'all to like back up, because I don't know where this is going. Like, this is real talk. And so as the guy comes out, and he begins to walk in front of his car, and now I can see in the headlights, I look at the guy, and because of the silhouette around his body, I could tell that he probably weighed about 140, 150. I'm 220. So I'm, at this point, I feel much more confident. I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> if, we, if this gets out of control, I feel pretty good about how this is going to end up. So the guy walks up, and so as he walks a little bit closer, he still hasn't said anything, and I'm looking at the dude, and I'm like, you gotta acknowledge him. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? He didn't say anything, he just kept on walking with the crowbar in his hand. I'm like, yo, what's good? Again, I'm in South Carolina, so I probably needed to use different language. And so the guy gets a little bit closer, and so I'm, I'm, I'm literally in my stance at this point. I'm like, okay, where is this gonna go? And so he says, 
And he, and he walks up and he says, hey, buddy, you need some help? And I, and I, and I look at the dude, and I'm like, I'm like, what? He's like, you need some help? And I look at the guy, I'm like, nah, man, I'm good. He's like, no, nah, it, it looks like you got a flat tire, buddy, man, I'll be glad to help you out. And, and as I'm looking at this guy, and I'm trying to discern the situation, I realize that we're in a culture now that when people come up and actually want to help you, you're immediately suspicious. So I'm looking at the dude, and I'm like, all right, man, you know, okay, let's go for it. So he, he brings out this utility stuff, he lifts up, his, he lifts up the car, and he's like, hey, man, my, my name is Bubba. I kid you not, this is what this guy's name. My name, my name is Bubba. And I'm like, what's up, Bubba? I'm Keith, man. He's like, he said, man, I, I own my own garage shop off of this exit right here. I'm gonna stick with this accent for the rest of the night. He said, I own this garage shop right off of this exit right here. And, and, and ordinarily, man, I just felt this unction inside of myself tonight. I don't know why, but I wanted to get up because I felt like there could be somebody that's possibly stranded out here that might need my help. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, I, I don't normally do this, but I, I just felt like I needed to get up. And so I got up and I, and I saw you over here, man. I just wanted to be a blessing to you. I'm like, man, thank you so much. So he, he, he fixes my car, man, and I turn around, man, he drives off. I'm thinking to myself, like, man, I want to get this dude a couple of dollars. He just rides off. And I'm like, man, who knew that angels had southern accents? I had no idea. <laughs> had no idea. And the interesting thing was, I was thinking to myself, I feel like I am in the middle of nowhere. I feel like I'm completely isolated. I feel like I'm completely alone. I don't know how I'm gonna be able to, to take care of my, my family out here. But what God showed me with that was, you may feel like you're in the middle of nowhere, but God knows exactly where you are. And he will send you some reinforcements. God knew exactly where I was. And even though my trip was delayed, I still made it to my destination. Delayed doesn't mean denied. <coughs> Excuse me. Delayed doesn't mean denied. And when I think about this story with Philip and the Ethiopian, I think that there's something that we can pull from that. Because the reality is this. We, we look at the life of, of Philip. This man who had just got finished preaching a revival, an incredible revival in Samaria, that God asked him to leave this environment of popularity, and he said, I want you to go to the desert road. I want you to think about that for a minute. Because by all means, the way that we define being blessed is when we have excess. Isn't that the truth? He was in a city that had a lot of people that needed the gospel. He had just spoke this message and people are filled with the Holy Spirit. They probably needed some discipleship. They probably needed someone there to help them set up what the church was gonna look like. They probably needed some assistance. But God came to him in the midst of all that and said, I need you to step away from that and go to the desert road. I don't need you to stay there and set up any small groups. I don't need you to do any of that stuff. I need you to leave this place of popularity and go to the desert road. Can you, can you imagine that? Because the problem is the way that we equate being blessed is by what we have. But I've learned a valuable lesson. We're not blessed because of what we have. We're blessed because of who we have. And, and the problem is when we do place our value on our valuables, it leaves room for us to feel worthless when someone has more worth than us. You don't place your value on what you have because there may be a season where God may ask you to step back so that he can give some margin and some buffer so that he can begin to fill the gap. I imagine if Philip looked at his ministry as being successful based off of how many people were sitting in the seats, that when God sent him to the desert road, he would have felt like he was getting a demotion. 
he may have felt like he was a complete failure. But I've learned that what happens with us a lot of times is that, yes, it's harmful when we compare ourselves to other people, but it's even more harmful when we compare our present to our past. We can, we can often look at how successful we were in one season, but then look at where we are in our current season and begin to say, but God's not moving in my life because obviously when God's moving in my life, this is what it should look like. I want you to understand that there is no demotion when grace is involved. I begin to think about the person of Jesus and how he left heaven so that he could come to earth so that we could have salvation. If Jesus could leave heaven, then I could absolutely leave my comfort. And there's a season where God may begin to compel you to step away from the popularity, from all the social media, and go to the desert road because you just may never know what God has for you while you're there. I look, I look at my life in the season that I'm in right now. And, and I've shared this with you guys before, but my wife and I are, have made a decision that we're, we're in the process of, of building our home. And as a result of that, us saying yes to that means saying no to some other things. I have to say no to not going out and buying any new watches. God help me. I have to say no to not going out and, and, and buying any new clothes. But another thing that we have to say no to is that we're not going to go get a new car right now. I want you all to hear me. Like, we have one car, and it's 20 years old, and I thank God for it. But right now, I'm like, I need to get a new car. And you know what? I could afford a new car. But God said, I need you to step back for a season and think through the legacy of what I'm trying to build for your future, not where you're trying to go now. What God wanted me to understand and what I believe that could be helpful for some of you sometimes is this. You're not blessed because of what you drive. You're blessed because of what drives you. And once I got to this place where I began to reconcile and be at peace with where I am, knowing that God has taken me to where he's calling me to go to, I'm very content with where I am for this season. So 30, I want you to evaluate where you are and understand that you're exactly where God wants you to be. And maybe you feel like you're on a desert road right now. Maybe you feel like you're in a place of isolation or maybe you've had to step back from some things. Maybe there's some people in your life that God has asked you to step back from. Maybe there's some popularity and some decisions that seem as if, why is God calling me to go this way when it seems very logical that I should go this way? I want you to understand that no matter where you are, God is with you. Philip makes this decision and he begins to find that I'll be obedient to where God is calling me to go. So he gets up and he immediately goes to the desert road. It's a 50 mile walk from where he was. And I'm pretty sure that while he's walking, he's asking himself, are we there yet? When are we gonna get there, God? What am I supposed to do when I get there? And he, he didn't get any response. But then we're introduced to the other character of the story, the Ethiopian eunuch. And I feel weird just keep calling him the Ethiopian, so I'm just gonna call him my man E. So we're introduced to my man E. And when we're introduced to my aunt, man, e, we're not given his name, but we're given two very distinctions that will be, help us understand his condition. First and foremost, he, he was an Ethiopian. Ethiopian was connected to Egypt, and Egypt was associated with bondage. So anytime that anyone was associated with Egypt, the, the Jewish folks look at them as outsiders because you're associated with a place of bondage that was representation for them. So that was part one. Secondly, he was a eunuch. Now, I'm not sure if anybody knows what a eunuch is, so I want to do my best to try to tell you what it is and still keep my job. What happened to this man was he was castrated. He, he was neutered. It's, it's like getting a game of Monopoly but not having no dice. He wasn't, the, the pieces wasn't moving. They were gone. This is what's going on with this, this man. He, he lost the ability to reproduce. But, but watch this, watch this, watch this. God gives man instructions to be fruitful and multiply. But the very thing that God has called us to do, he didn't even have the equipment to do it. Have you ever felt that you're called to something that you're not equipped to do? 
Have, have you ever felt that you found yourself in a position where God is compelling me to do something, but I don't even know if I have the reproductive abilities to be obedient to it? This is the condition of this man. Furthermore, we find that he is coming back from Jerusalem. This is important. He went to Jerusalem to worship. But do you realize that in the book of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, the Bible says that any man who has been castrated or neutered or had his monopoly dice taken from him, the Bible says that they literally cannot go and worship in the house of God. Watch this. So he went to the house of God so that he could worship only to get there and realize that he could not go in because he was too broken. Have you ever found yourself at a place, I don't know, where maybe you've come to church, come to a place that's supposed to make you feel better, a place that's supposed to make you feel whole, only to walk away not feeling any better, only feeling more rejected and thinking that even they don't know what to do with me. Have, have you ever found yourself in a place where your brokenness begins to define you to the point that it puts boundaries around your ability to access the grace of God. This, this, this Ethiopian, my man, he, he found himself coming back. And can you imagine the emotions? He went there in, in an effort to worship, but was coming back disappointed and, and confused. And this may be the condition that some of you are in. Maybe you've been coming to church for quite some time and you can say to yourself, like, I, I don't feel any breakthrough. I don't feel like I've, I've, I've prayed at the altar. I've done everything that I know to do, but I don't feel any different. But here's something that I need to make sure that you guys understand is that, that though, the, though the, the, the healing process, it takes time, but never forget the fact that it's already been paid for. I'm a, I'm a person, I like to, I like to shop online. I, I didn't used to like to shop online because it was this whole process of me paying for something, but then waiting for it to get delivered to my house. But now I'm at peace with it, especially now that I can go and pick up things from the store. So what I like to do is I'll, I'll order something online and then pick it up at the store because it allows me to avoid the lines. But there's a time where it's paid for, but there's a process of picking it up. It's already paid for. It's already ready for me, but I, I've got to go and get dressed. I've got to get in my car. I've got to navigate through traffic. I've got to find myself at the place so that I can pick it up. I'll put it to you this way. A couple weeks ago, I went through um, a terrible loss. It's something that I'm still working through. My Xbox broke. Um, and, and, and it did, it did. It's something I had to work through. Thank God that it got fixed. But my Xbox broke a couple weeks ago. And when my Xbox broke a couple weeks ago, it was right when some games that I'd already pre-ordered were, were coming out. So I'm sitting there waiting and I'm thinking to myself, my Xbox breaks. I already have these games that I've already pre-purchased, but I can't play them because my system is broken. So I had to send my system back to the manufacturer. They diagnosed the problems. They fixed it. But I still had these games and things that were already just waiting for the system to come back. The system finally came back, and I was able to load the things back up. And now I feel that heaven is back into full motion the way that it should be. <laughs> but here's the thing. The broken system had to go back to the manufacturer so that it could be in a condition that it could handle the new software that I was supposed to be playing. Here, here's what I believe that happens a lot of times with us. We have brokenness inside of us. Please understand that your deliverance has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. Your healing has already been paid for by Jesus Christ. But there's brokenness inside of us that we have to give back to the manufacturer so he can fix us so we can handle the weight of the software that God wants to run in our life. <coughs> it's already... It's already been paid for. So this Ethiopian, he, he, he comes back, he's feeling disappointed, and the Bible says that now he's on the very same desert road. He's on the same desert road that, that Philip was on. And the Bible tells us that Philip hears him reading out loud from the book of Isaiah. Philip hears him reading out loud, and he says, do you understand what you're reading? And the man says, how can I unless someone 
explains it to me. Now, what was going on here is that the Ethiopian, he was reading from the book of Isaiah, what we know to be the 53rd chapter. You know what, I, I'm, I'm gonna come down here, I wanna talk to you guys from down here for a second. Is that all right with you guys, sub, sub 30? Okay, let's, let's, let's talk and let's, let's be real for a minute. So what's going on here at, at this time is, the Ethiopian, he's, he's, he's riding on this desert road. And, and his, as he's riding on this desert road, he's reading out loud from the book of Isaiah, what we know to be chapter 53. The reason why I keep emphasizing that is because chapter 53 of the book of Isaiah is easily considered to be the most clear depiction of the pain that Jesus was going to endure. Watch this. It, it's in chapter 53 that we read the verses that says, by his stripes we are healed. It's, it's in chapter 53 that we learned that all the, the weight of brokenness was gonna go on his shoulders, that his life was gonna be taken from him, that, that he was innocent, but none of the us, he was killed. You, you, it's in chapter 53 we're reading about the pain that Jesus was gonna endure. Put this together. This man had just left Jerusalem where he was hearing about a man who was crucified on a cross, but he didn't see Jesus. He's now riding back, reading from the exact same narrative of what he just came from, but didn't put the connections together because he still didn't see Jesus. Now he's looking at pain, and he doesn't understand what he's looking at. In other words, he didn't see Jesus. It's possible, sub 30, I think it's possible that we can be looking at pain and things in our life, but we don't see Jesus in it. I, I don't see Jesus in the pain of my, in my marriage. I, I don't see Jesus in the pain of my finances. I don't see Jesus in the pain of the situation that I am. Where, where is Jesus in the midst of this situation? But, but I, I wanna let you know that it's in Isaiah chapter 54 we see a shift because it's in Isaiah chapter 54 we're introduced to the idea that there is no weapon formed against me that shall prosper. It's, it's in Isaiah 55 we're introduced to the promises of God where the word declares that the word of God will never come back to him void. It's in Isaiah 56 we're introduced to the idea that there's redemption available to all mankind, even to the eunuchs. What I firmly believe is that there's many times in our lives that the enemy loves for us to get stuck on the Isaiah 53 chapters of our life where we see pain but we don't see Jesus. But if we only could turn the page and recognize that victory is on the other side of the page, if we could just turn the page and see that our deliverance is on the other side of the page, that our breakthrough is on the other side of the page, I want to let you know that Jesus is here tonight and he's ready to turn the page on your situation if you're ready to engage him. But you got to say to yourself, I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to turn the page. I may be looking at some pain right now and I don't have clarity on it right now. I don't understand what I'm looking at right now, but I know that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. You're only 20 verses away. I may not understand what I'm looking at, but I know what God's word says about me, and I know that his word will not return to him void. I don't understand what the redemption process looks like, but I know that it says that even in my broken condition, that there's access for heaven's grace for me. What I want you to know is it doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter what your circumstance is, that God's grace is available for you exactly where you are, but you got to keep reading. You got to turn the page. You got to let the grace of God turn the page on your situation. It's, it's possible for us to get stuck at looking at the pain, and that's what happened with him. But the Bible says that Philip came up and said, man, do you, do you understand what you're reading? Do you have context? Do you have clarity on what you're looking at? And he says, no, would you show me? And he invited him to come in and to bring clarity and to bring context. What I believe happens with us on a lot of occasions is when we're looking at pain, we're looking at suffering, we often try to interpret it on our own and we go home even more confused. But what I want you to know, Sub 30, is that God has positioned you to be around people. This is why we do groups. 
This is why we do community, so that when you're looking at the pain in your life, you can say, man, I don't understand this, but someone can come alongside of you and say, let me show you Jesus in this situation. Let me show you what deliverance looks like in this situation. You're a lot closer to victory than you think you are, but you've just gotta be willing to turn the page. What the Bible tells us is that at the end of all of this stuff, that they're riding down the desert road. And as they're riding down the desert road, he begins to explain to him where Jesus is in Isaiah 53. He walks him through the rest of the scriptures and shows him where Jesus is. And the man makes an interesting observation. He says, hey, look, there's water. What's to keep me from being baptized? Philip said, man, nothing. As long as you believe in Jesus. He said, I do, let's get it. Let me, let me explain to you what this context means. Ordinarily, we, we preach this particular passage to talk about the importance of baptism, and that's absolutely important. But I, I wanna give you a different spin, because now we have a man who was looking at pain, who was looking at suffering, and he really didn't have clarity and he couldn't see Jesus. But that same man, when he was told to look through the lens of Jesus, was able to see refreshment even in the desert. They're on a desert road, so I don't know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a genius, but the idea of a desert meaning the absence of water, but somehow, even in the midst of a desert, God made sure that there was water of refreshment available once Jesus got involved. This is what I believe. The water often represents the spirit of God. What I believe is when we begin to look at things through the filter of Jesus, you'd be amazed at how you who was once confused with your pain will now be able to identify where the water and refreshment and the presence of God is now available to you at a moment's notice. The grace of God is available for you exactly where you are when you look at it through the lens of Jesus. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back out. And, and I, I, wanna, I wanna share this thought with you. Last Sunday, if, if you guys were here last Sunday, I, I, I came up on stage in, in between one of our, our worship songs and I was just talking about how we can get blindsided sometimes by, by pain and disappointment and, and things along those lines. And I, and I shared with you how I got the phone call that my grandmother wasn't doing well and you know put the phone up to her ear and let me kind of say my last words to her. Well, that was on Sunday night. I get back home and, and on Monday morning, I get a phone call like, hey man, her, her eyes are open. Looks like she's doing a little bit better. And I'm like, okay man, there, there's hope. On Tuesday, I get the phone call that she died. So, so, so now I'm, I'm beginning to process, okay, my, my grandmother my grandmother has passed. I mean, she's, she's lived an incredible life, but I begin to process, okay, I, I need to get prepared for a road trip. I gotta get prepared to take my family up to go and, and see my grandmother. Well, it occurred to me that on Sunday, which is today, I was also, scheduled to officiate a wedding that I'd already um, said I was gonna do. And, I, and obviously I, I could have gotten out of it if I wanted to, but I felt like this burden on my heart for God to say, no, I, I need you to, to go to the funeral, but I need you to come back and, and do the wedding. So yesterday I go to my grandmother's funeral and I, and I speak and I, I see my family members. I, I immediately leave there, hop on a plane, get back home after midnight, get up this morning at seven and, and get situated. And then I go and officiate a wedding. And then after I finish officiating the wedding, I come home and prepare, and now I'm standing here in, in front of you guys right now. And, and, and to be honest with you guys, I've had friends and, and family members, and they've asked me, man, are you okay? Like, why are you doing so much? And, and, I, and I, I believe that because in life, we just don't have the ability to take a time out for pain. And if I can't access the grace of God in my biggest time of need, then what am I doing? This is what, I, this is what I've learned, though. As I sat at the funeral looking at my, my grandmother, and I began to look at my aunts and my uncles, I saw a legacy. I saw a legacy of a woman who, who had raised her family to be followers and believers in Jesus and seeing how it passed down the generations. 
Then I find myself this morning at this wedding and, and I begin to see this couple who's being raised up in the things of God and, and God would allow me to be a part of it. And, and it's incredible to see what God's gonna do in them and the children that they're gonna eventually end up having and how one day they're gonna be grandparents and, and how the cycle continues to perpetuate itself. And, and now I see myself standing here and I see through the eyes of many of you that are sitting here in this audience, even those online, and I can see that you're beginning to see and connect dots and trust in God a little bit more. What, what I believe is that through even every step of the seasons that I've gone through, I see water. I, I, look, there's water. I, when I look at my grandmother's funeral, I see the legacy of faith that has been deposited in my family members. Look, there's water. When, when I, I'm thinking of standing in front of the couple that I was marrying and they were putting their faith in Jesus Christ and they were putting God first and declaring to raise their children up as God first family, look, there's water. And even as I stand here in front of you guys tonight, there's gonna to be many of you that are gonna make decisions for Christ. Look, there's water. What I wanna let you know is that no matter what the season that you're in, that water and refreshment and the grace of God is available for you exactly where you are. Look, there's water. There's water. Here, here's what I wanna do with, with every head bowed and with every eye closed. I just, I just wanna ask you to to be sober in this moment. I'm gonna ask you to just begin to reflect and think about maybe you're on a desert road right now. Maybe you're in a season of, of isolation, maybe where you feel that God has asked you to step away from the obvious popularity, to step away from the things that all your friends are doing, that God is asking you to, to do things a little bit differently. I don't know, maybe, maybe you're a Philip and you feel like you have so much inside of you, but, but God is asking you to go a, a different direction. Maybe you're, maybe you're like my man E, where you, you, you've engaged the presence of God and maybe you felt rejected. That maybe you've engaged coming to church and you haven't felt any more delivered, thinking that maybe you have to pray a different prayer or do something different, not realizing that it's already been paid for, but deliverance is a process. No matter where you are in here tonight, I just wanna ask you this one question. If you were in here tonight and you would say, I'm, I'm, I'm in a desert season, but I believe God is gonna show me water. I believe God is gonna show me water. I just want you to put your hand up at the count of three. One, two, three. Look, there's water. There's hope. Amen. Amen. Hands up everywhere. You can put those hands down. Here's, here's my second question. If you're in here tonight and maybe you're one of the people that, you know what, I haven't surrendered my life to Christ yet because if I'm honest, I'm kind of like the Ethiopian where I've been rejected and I felt like I wasn't good enough and I felt too broken and I just felt like I was in a condition where there's no hope for me. But I wanna let you know, look, there's water. It's available for you tonight. There's healing. It's available for you tonight. There's freedom. It's available for you tonight. Deliverance is a process, but it's already been paid for. If you're in here tonight and you're saying, Keith, I'm ready to commit or recommit my life to Christ, I just want you to signify it by, by raising a hand. On the count of three, we're only gonna do this once. One, two, three. Amen, 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 amen. God bless you guys, amen. Church, let's put our hands together for those who are surrendering their life to Christ. Here, here's what we're gonna do. Here's what we're gonna do. I want you all to stand on your feet. And if you're one of the ones that put your hands up or maybe you didn't, I want you to come down to this altar. I, I wanna pray for you guys. Come on down here really quick. You know what, I don't care if you have a serving team role, I want you to come down here right now. I want, I want to pray for you. I want to speak a blessing over your life. I want you to understand that God is with you where you are. 
You may feel isolated. You may feel like you're in a desert road. You may feel stranded. You may feel like there's no, there's no support, there's no resources available to you, but I wanna let you know, look, there's water. The presence of God is with you exactly where you are. The healing of God is exactly where you are. And he's ready to engage you. I'm always blown away at how God moves on the hearts of his people. I'm always blown away at how a message has the ability to trigger something inside of you guys. And here's what I want you to know. It's already been paid for. There's nothing that you gotta do. There's, there's no extra work that you gotta do. All you have to do is accept the free gift of Christ and now present your brokenness to the manufacturer so he can position you so that you can handle the weight of what he wants to put onto your life. Right where you are, if you, if you decided that I wanna surrender my life to Christ, I want you to repeat this after me. And all of us as a family, we're gonna say this together as a way of support and encouragement. Repeat after me, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. I repent of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose from the grave and that nothing will separate me from your love. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, I wanna pray for you guys. So with, 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 if you could just lift your hands up if you feel comfortable. I believe that God is gonna do something incredible in here tonight, and I wanna respect and honor this moment as much as possible. In fact, Pastor Clay, I want you to come up here. Can you grab a mic? I want you to, I want you to pray with me, Clay. I'm gonna pray for you, and then I'm gonna ask if Pastor Clay can, can pray for healing. And, just, and I believe that God's gonna do something incredible in here tonight. This is not something that we take lightly. Heavenly Father, God, you see the hands lifted up of your people. God, whether they're in this arena, whether they're watching online, Father, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you begin to move on the behalf of your people. God, I recognize that many of us are in a desert season, Father, but please allow us to see that, look, there is water. Look, there is healing. Look, there is refreshment. Look, there is breakthrough, God. Father, I pray for the person that's struggling with addiction, God, and maybe they feel that that addiction has kept them from engaging your presence. Maybe they feel that they haven't been able to walk out the promises as a result of the struggle that's in their life. But Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you heal, that you break the chains, and that you bring about deliverance. God, we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.